And I think that as individuals, you know, we're insecure. And I think it's, it, you can't tell people not to be insecure, but I think that it's important to remember that everyone is and no one really knows exactly 100% what they're doing. So just be open to asking questions and don't be ashamed to show someone something you've designed because you're afraid they're not gonna like it. Try to reframe your mindset to show them and get their thoughts to help get a different perspective or to help you grow. Like don't be afraid of criticism. Don't be afraid of all of these things that are you know allegedly deemed negative, but they're actually positive. Because when you embrace this, those scary things, that's when you're really gonna grow and get closer to the person that you know you're meant to be. Hey everybody, welcome to Works in Process. This podcast is a series of conversations where I speak to designers, artists, writers, and more to discuss their creative methodologies. I'm your host, designer and educator, George Garastegui. In this episode, I talked to Corey and Kirsten, co-founders of Jira's Creative. I met up with them at their studio in Brooklyn to discuss leaving the corporate world to start their own agency, how they did not actually come up with the name for their own company, and working with the Girl Scouts of America. This is the first time having two guests on the show, and you can hear the energy and passion they have for their work and their collaboration. So now let's get to this unique episode. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, so what's up, Dearest Creative? How y'all doing? We're great. We're great. It's a it's a rainy Thursday in Bushwick, and yeah, and I know this we, is going to be an g- interesting conversation because <laughs> this is the first podcast that I'm doing that has two people. Um, so it's a three-person podcast, so it's going to be really interesting to have two people going back and forth, and you know, hopefully you don't step over each other. You're so hoping. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to just get us comfortable. I do a little thing called icebreakers that just gets us a little loose. Awesome. So what we're going to do is instead of my normal one where I have one um, guest doing all of them, I'm going to do a round robin and just every other one you'll do. Cool? Cool. All right. So we'll start with Corey. All right. Digital or print? Digital. Design or advertising? Design. Greenpoint or Bushwick? Bushwick. Nice. All right. So we'll do the same thing. And now this other set of questions are just the first thing you think of when I say these words. Okay. Right? Cool. So kind of just. Um, creativity. Art. Design. Life. Art. World. Business. Pleasure. Failure. Happens. Clients. Interesting. Mistakes. Learning. Tools. Useful. Skills. A gift. Opportunity. Latch. Latch on. Future. Now. Risk. Take. And the last one I'll ask both of you, process. Oof. (laughs) Woof. (laughs) Oof and woof. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm here talking to, you know, the two founders of this design agency, Dearest Creative. Um, We're out here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And... Because I'm talking to two different people who are starting their own company, and it, it's already been two years, right? When we met, you said you started two years ago. I really want to, one, learn a bit of, about your origin stories. So whoever wants to take point on this, but it's individual, right? So you're not like your shared woven story, like how Corey and Kirsten kind of got here at different points, but then ending up here. Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida. And we're listening to Kirsten. Oh, do I have to introduce myself? No, but I'm just saying it because nobody knows us. Oh, I'm Kirsten. (laughs) Um, I was born and raised in Florida. Uh, Grew up primarily in Jacksonville. And um, I was always a creative, creative kid and, you know, loved art and painting and drawing and getting my hands dirty and doing all that kind of stuff. And so I knew that, you know, when I went to college, I knew I wanted to be something in the creative realm, whatever, whatever that was. I didn't really know what that would be. And I was pretty lucky to have, you know, parents that supported that and probably were like, I don't really know what you can do with this, but let's go for it. (laughs) And went to Florida State University where I originally majored in 
fine art. And there is where I learned graphic design. And I was really, you know, just excited about the opportunity that I didn't know prior of, I guess, guess mixed media is the term to use, where Mm -hmm. I could integrate hands-on creation in also the digital space and manipulate things in a way that I never thought possible. So I then transitioned to graphic design where I got a BFA. And a few days after I graduated, I booked it to New York where I always wanted to be and um, waited tables for a while (laughs) until I got my first job. (laughs) And was there for a bit until uh, there was a job opportunity for a two-week freelance stint at Vogue.com. Little did I know that my future partner was the one that posted (laughs) the offer. So I luckily got it. And instead of two weeks, turned into two years. And it was one of the most incredible experiences ever, uh, being in such an awesome, amazing, inspiring environment. I've always loved fashion as well. And I just learned so much. And then kind of traveled around to a few different jobs in the industry. I worked at Aaron Lauder, again, with Corey, my partner, and went to Amazon. And um, and now I'm here with the what used to be the best boss ever, but is now the best partner ever. I guess that leads us into Corey. Yes. So hello, everyone. Uh, my name's Corey. I am also obviously co- uh, co-founder and partner of Dearest Creative. Uh, to George's note, we launched two years ago. We kind of came from an idea on a business trip uh, to, you know, a bottle of wine in a hotel room that turned into purchasing a URL and an LLC. And uh, and kind of here we are, which has been really crazy and, uh, you know, roller coaster of a ride. Uh, my personal history, I graduated in 2010, I, um, again, like Kirsten, moved right to New York right after graduation, had a job at L'Oreal. After L'Oreal doing some packaging design and creative production, uh, moved into a role at The Fader, uh, which is an underground music uh, editorial kind of indie vibe. And then I moved to Vogue.com, which is where we met and kind of Kirsten took you through that whole kind of whirlwind, which was an amazing, crazy ride. And, you know, in terms of our relationship to expand upon Kirsten's breakdown, you know, it it formed from working together, working as partners to realizing we really complement each other's skill sets. So we kind of without even really thinking about it or talking even too much about it, just kind of knew that we would one day build something that was different and bigger than the roles we were in. And although we are a baby agency in, you know, the industrial Bushwick, I think it's it's this the beginning of something a lot bigger and something really special, uh, an environment that is is safe and creative and open and you know something that after ten years of being in New York, uh, I was never never able to find elsewhere, and we have started to build it together. It's kind of funny how you both found yourself, and um, and it seems that you both started. In fashion, coming yes. out of school, mm-hmm. fashion beauty ish, right. yeah, mm-hmm. and then started to you know transition into to other things and more, I guess, traditionally tr- design related stuff. But Vogue.com doing a lot of digital, probably, right? Yeah. So probably not everybody's going to know this, but you started about two years ago. Two years ago, I started my podcast, and oh. I talked to Corey one time because um, our episode two guests, um, Eli Nugaborn and Corey, are friends, and he put me on that. You guys would be somebody, you know, be interested to talk to. But you just mentioned something in your little origin story that you, you know, went out and just bought a domain name. Mm-hmm. Dearestcreative.co. So how did Dearest the name come about? Yeah, that's a really good question. We started with knowing that naming would be very hard. And as designers and, you know, people in branding, to brand yourself is one of the, the toughest things to do. Probably the hardest branding project I've ever <laughs> yeah. had. Because not only do you want to involve so many emotions and aesthetics and colors and fonts, you want it to really be timeless. So I think for us, um, we were inspired by a few different agencies and brands that had this notion of uh, sincerity, of um, you know, writing a letter to someone, a closeness of a friend, um, a salutation of sorts. 
and bringing that print world, bringing that old school uh, frame of mind to the digital space. And don't get me wrong, we love print projects, but I think, you know, we all know we live in a world of digital. It's social media is more important than a website, you know? So I think for us, it was how do we bring that that notion back to our thinking and our, our mindfulness about creative? And it was actually my husband, this is Corey speaking, who came up with Dearest. And at first we weren't really sure, you know, like that sounds, we like this, the ring of it, but does it really explain us? And after kind of sitting on it for a few weeks and uh, just kind of thinking about what it meant, I think we both came from roles that not only were large corporations and different, you know, larger brands that we were collaborating with that felt a little, um, unfortunately, dishonest to us or uh, not true to our our personal selves. So being kind of an, an endear, a moment of endearment or being honest, being truthful, being uh, dearest to someone was something that felt really right and it just kind of clicked. Um, so of course, as we try to do, we slept on it for a few nights, you know, a few weeks. And <laughs> like we said, on our, on our, um, previous work trip before Dearest launched, it's when we just said, let's do it. It's time. It feels right. Why are we waiting? And it was, that's how it happened. Yeah. I think also to expand upon what you were saying, I think we were very much, or maybe I'm speaking for myself, but we've had conversations about this before where these, you know, amazing roles that we had prior and a lot of the, you know, in quotes, graphic design that I found myself doing was very social, digital driven, which don't, not knocking digital at all, but there's something about designing purely for social that was kind of something that made, you know, kind of flipped a switch in me where I was like, I don't feel like a designer anymore. I feel like I'm just repurposing things that are existing and, and it just doesn't feel like anything on in, in, in my soul. And I think that we were trying to bridge the gap between the old and the new and being, mm-hmm. you know, we can integrate and celebrate and honor, you know, the way communication has been before this digital age, which is so exciting, but also so terrifying and kind of bring that as part of our ethos of who we are as a, as a studio. You know, we're, we're just people and we're here to support our clients and each other and make things that better the world. And I think that Dearest, although we were annoyed that <laughs> we, neither of us came up with the perfect name, it was the perfect name mm-hmm. because it really yeah. just uh, <laughs> felt, it just really felt right mm-hmm. and feels right still, which yeah. is also exciting. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that the case though? I think sometimes when, like you said, doing a branding project for yourself is probably one of the hardest things to do. Oh, and yeah. now just add naming yourself and, and oh, having man. the pressure of being, oh, well, we didn't like the name. We chose the name and now yeah. we have to stick with it in the back of your head. You can probably be like, OK. Oh, yeah. We thought our, thought about that so many times. Like, what if we picked a stinker and we're stuck with it? <laughs> I know. And we got to rebrand it I all like over it's, again. It's probably best that neither of us chose the name. It's true. Because we're better at visuals. Let's be honest. Right. <laughs> so. And the ones we came up with were... I don't even just, remember, honestly. Oh, there, man, there's, that there's, there's, a there's a document somewhere yeah. lost in the abyss. Um, <laughs> Something on Google Drive is just waiting sure there with like an yeah. untitled 47. Like, <laughs> I don't want to know what this is. <laughs> yep. But that going into, you know, okay, so now just buying a domain name and, and, and taking the leap. So obviously there's a shift that needs to happen to say I'm not going to be working for part of these large corporations for any reason because I want freedom, because I don't like what they stand for, because I know I stand for something better. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a tipping point at a place or was there just, you know what, we've been we've been there for so long that we just need to do our own thing. Right. It was there a horror story that kind of made us go to some place that we're able to talk about. Um, what sure. was that? Yeah. So I'm going to take this one. If that's OK. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so there there's a two part on this one. So the first part was that we were um, on a team that, first of all, we learned a lot from from budgeting to uh, shoot production to travel expenses to everything that isn't designed that you need to know for running an agency. I'm just going to interject really quickly and say that we were at the same agency before mm-hmm. we came. Yes. Before we started Dearest. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we um, together uh, worked as a team and learned a lot that we didn't think we ever really wanted to know or needed to know, but we were kind of, you know, coerced into it. And as it, as it turned out, it was like the perfect, uh, launch into starting our own company. Um, but the two part 
kind of world here is the the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question was that uh, the CEO of the company and uh, my direct boss at that time took me out to a little bit of a like, we want to promote you. We want you to become something larger at this company. We met at a hotel wine bar, had a fancy drink, all these things. I'm all excited. And he legitimately asked me if I would uh, be the director of a a company, a department that would be the Walmart of Snapchat filters. Um, so essentially churning out as much content and as low quality of content as possible, but just charging the large companies we worked with boatloads of money to essentially create nonsense that would be gone in a blip of an eye. So in in my world of blood, sweat, t- blood, sweat and tears on everything I tried to work on almost to a fault in a workaholic <laughs> essence that sometimes happens, um, that just ripped the heart out of me. I mean, it was everything I, I was working for and all these hard jobs and all these late hours and, you know, not seeing my family as much as I wanted or my friends. It was like, this is what I've worked for up this corporate ladder, you know, a Walmart of Snapchat, you know, that's, that's not for me. So I heard that and was just kind of, you know, wanted to quit on the spot, didn't, but knew 100% that was not for me and not something, you know, I did. I love digital in the sense of video and animation, but in the essence of churning out content that's going to be gone immediately and it, there's no purpose, you know, that's not that's not our jam. So um, that was my first portion of it. And the second portion was that Kirsten and I worked on this um, large um, soda company brand. We did a big campaign that was launched across YouTube and social, was actually used as a commercial during the VMAs. And we did everything from scouting location to uh, casting the models to helping to write the script, hiring the producers, figuring out the best DP for the job, uh, storyboarding, prop styling, the whole to-do. And created this series that I think was one of the best projects we've ever worked on together and something I'm still very proud of. We, of course, can't show now because we're a new company, but um, we sold this grandiose idea, a new version of a product that's been around for a long time that uh, got a lot of pickup, was super hip, super, you know, chic, millennial, all those things. And, you know, after everything launched and it did really well, we found out that the essence behind the project, pro- uh, the product, the new twist on it was a lie, unfortunately. So, you know, this amazing project that we shared with our parents and said, this is graphic design parents. This is why we went to college. We're so proud. And, you know, they see it like, wow, it's so impressive. Oh, just kidding. It's all a lie. It was not real. And it doesn't mean anything because the whole essence of the product was not, you know, the story was not told accurately. So that was another portion in the, in the same agency where we said, love the big brands, really impressive love being exposed to them, working with them, learning about those budgets, figuring out that world, but it's not for us. It's not a world we want to be in. It's not pa- it's not where our passion lies and you know, all those small startup type brands that we work with now, they don't have budgets that are, you know, that size ever, but we are way more inclined to be a part of a brand that is a little scrappier. They're starting from the ground up. There'll be a level of that brand one day, but we can help them grow from the ground up and support their morals and support their visuals and help bring their vision to life, but not fall into that trap of here's this cushy salary in Midtown Manhattan. And you know that everything you're doing is, you know, falling into a pit of PR lies. So that's a real thing the designers face. And I think for us, you know, we just had enough. It was like, we both looked at each other at one point, just kind of, you know, for a a bunch of different uh, experiences and situations. Those were two for me. It just was, we were done. Same. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. We shared an office. (laughs) So we kind of were in the trenches together. And I think it just kind of made us realize we have all these ideas. We have, we're obviously pissed about this because we care. And there's a lot of amazing brands and people in the world that need creative support and guidance and want to collaborate that that want to help the world and want to be honest or don't want to help the world to be honest, like whatever, just being honest and have a, um, a decent identity of their own. And for me, it was more this longing for authenticity that just seemed to have probably never been there except for our, you know our relationship with each other and what we tried really hard to make and that was 
pretty palpable mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing the idea of, you know, you, you mentioned authenticity, you mentioned morals and how that plays a big role in, in a decision to leave a bigger, cushy job to start your own thing. That's probably scary. How much did the role of being more authentic, being morally responsible in why you're creating a company called Dearest, which is something that you said is more personal, how important what is that to the brand? It's 100%. It's, it's our backbone. I mean, I think it's really who we are as individuals that have also merged to create Dearest. And I think it's sometimes, you know, when we try to explain it to people, you can kind of see looks in their eyes and it's like, well, it's a business. Is it really, can it really be all these amazing, all these things that you want it to be? Are you you shooting for the stars? And it's like, well, we're trying. I mean, I think it's navigating this world, whether big, small, whatever, what have you, being a business is a certain way and it's been a certain way for a long time. And I think we also, we live in a beautiful time where a lot of, innovators and disruptors are coming in and kind of paving the way for us and everyone else to figure out what business means to you. You can be professional and put food on your table and happy and have good relationships and interactions with people on a day-to-day basis and still run a business. It doesn't have to be this it doesn't have to be the movie, television, uh, midtown Manhattan, cushy job thing, this idea that everyone has in their head. And I think that that's just something that we always work towards. And that's just in the back of our minds always. It's, it's I don't know if we're there or we'll ever be there. I don't know if it'll be exactly where that is. But I think just that being at the, f- just who we are and what we're using to propel us forward is mm-hmm. really beautiful and helps keeps us keeps us going mm-hmm. definitely no totally agreed and two more thoughts there that I was just laughing about that Kirsten and I realized that for our internships or and or first jobs you know we come from suburban areas um but we we, we realized that we had both worn full suits to our first interview <laughs> as graphic designers full suits so like like first we're talking school, like we're, talk, we're talking frilly frilly blouse blazer with shoulder pads, um, pants with maybe a belt and like, a and, full like belt. and like Oxford shoes or maybe heels. Yeah. And I think it's just really funny because our upbringings are really similar for, although from different areas of like, well, if you're, if you left the house for an interview, that's what grandpa told you to wear. And like, he <laughs> bought you the suit and that's that. And like, you're wearing that to your first interview. And, um, I think it's just, it's, it's something where we, we dreamed about the day where we didn't have to go into Manhattan to go to work. So it'd be like, oh, well, Etsy, you know, Etsy has a, an office in, in Dumbo. Maybe we'll work for Etsy. Like pure, like also Etsy, I love it, but like also purely just because it's in Brooklyn and we don't have to go oh, into the yeah. city. So I feel like there's, there's something about, you know, we created this like dream place that we didn't think existed. Um, but I also think it's your idealist version of like what your dream job is. You know, at one point it was Vogue and we hit that, which was amazing. And then it was like, okay, what's, what's next? Um, so for us, I think we're definitely eager minded, you know, eager people and, and we're like-minded, but I also feel like that's different for everyone. And that's, that's one of the biggest things we've learned. It's, it's not right or wrong to work for a corporate company or an agent, big agency. It's not right or wrong to work for a small agency in the middle of Bushwick. It's, you know, whatever feels good to you. So I think it's just, um, it's something where like really thinking about your role and your time on the earth it gets a little existential and intellectual, but it's like, where are you spending your time and is it where you want it to be? And if not, change it. You know, it's e- easier said than done, of course, but. Two notes on that. One, if someone walked into an interview here wearing a full suit, I would say bravo because own it. Uh, thanks, mom, for the suit. And second point is, I think that's something that Corey and I have, we've been talking about a lot recently because you know, we're at two years Sometimes it feels like a day. Sometimes it feels like a lifetime. And sometimes like, oh, corporate, like we never go back to how things were or I, you know, can't believe that I was like, whatever, just, you know, shooting the shit. But I also think that every creative, every person, but every creative has the right and also should be encouraged to explore all different kinds of environments that work for them from a working standpoint. I mean, of course, if you're creative, you're creative in all aspects of your life, whether that's you've created at home or not at home, but when you are a creative who does a job that is creatively based, I think that everyone works differently. And I think that everyone should 
take the opportunities that they have to see what fits them best doing what they inherently are passionate about for their job. Right. Right. Because not everyone's different or not everyone's the same. I mean, there's no right or wrong. And I think figuring that out is a journey for sure. And and, And I think it's just, yeah, everyone should figure out, take the time, explore different roles, explore different environments and figure out what works for you to bring home the bacon without burning, you know, burning your creative light out. Right. I mean, I think definitely that's a, that's something to try out because you're going to not like things along the way. You're going to learn that you don't like those things. So you don't continue those things. Right. So it's a great learning experience to say that, you know, I thought I was going to do this and I was going to love this. And you're like, nope, never going to do this again. But it's so much easier to find that out and then tell yourself you're not going to do this versus keep on doing it because it's the only thing you know. Exactly. And then you don't also don't have to sit back and say, well, what if? What if? It's like, well, I know what if. I did it and I didn't like it. Right. What I'm hearing also is because, you know, there's a nice, you know, rapport going back and forth is there's a lot of similarities that you both have. Obviously, you're saying coming from different places, but for some reason still having similar um, things. How do those similarities and or differences allow you to have this type of company? Uh, I think the number one thing that comes to mind is that we were co-workers first and friends second. So I have a very, you know, close-knit group of friends that are all graphic designers, this is Corey speaking. Uh, we all collaborate together. I've done freelance together, went through a crazy program together. But I think because Kirsten and I met under such an extreme level of work ethic and dedication to a job that was, if you don't bring 110%, there's someone the next day that will replace you. And no one will blink an eye, you know, that level of Devil Wars Prada that you will, you know, we were there 100% all the time. So working together, there wasn't quite enough time to become the best of friends when you're at Vogue. I mean, yes, you can go out, you can meet for dinner or things like that. But when we were in the environment like that, where it's all hands on deck all the time, you figure it out quick if you work together well or not. And through the many, many people that had worked through fashion week, there was something that clicked where I didn't have to, we didn't have to explain a lot to each other. We didn't have to discuss that much. We just kind of, the energy worked and we got a lot done quickly. So that's kind of the first thing that I had in mind. And then before you go to your second yeah, point, my, just what I was going to say to that is similarity side note is I think that we were both raised in wonderful families where we were taught from a very young age to bring 110%. It's, you know, you're at your job. It doesn't matter if it's your dream job or a job that you have just to pay bills or whatever. It's like you're there, you do your job and you do the best job that you can because that's your job and that's your character. And you need to, you know, show everyone who you are and and reflect that upon everyone. It helps, you know, inspire other people. And it's like, as Corey said, I mean, we were in the, we started off in the trenches, 11 PM waiting (laughs) at Vogue. And it's like, it, it just kind of, in and of itself formed, it was a symbiotic relationship that formed into something bigger before we even realized. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally our show started at 11 p.m. So it was 11 p.m. to what, like 9 a.m. Yeah. or something? What? Yeah. yeah what, so do you, what do you mean your shift started we, at 11 p.m.? So at Vogue, they do um, day, middle, and night yeah. shifts for fashion week. So because I managed the team, I hired everyone that would come in under those three shifts. And I often worked the night because that was the hardest one. And there was so much content that came in. You had to make sure it looked right and was processed the right way. It's everything from every look of every designer to the parties, to the fashion week, um, exposés to XYZ. So our shifts were the middle of the night. It was like back to, you know, Penn State graphic design studio days where, you chugged three Red Bulls and you hope for the best until the morning, made sure you got things done. So I think in that environment, in that essence, which like part of me like kind of creepily misses. Um, well, you own I, the company. You can do whatever you want. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, we, I think it was sometimes. like you, you had this different world. You were in Times Square when no one else was. You know, you pushed all this content out and you were in charge of something. And it was the first time Vogue had a website and we launched the Instagram and all of that stuff. So I think there was something really exciting and very um, like it just charged you up. You're in New York, you're in Midtown in Times Square. There's fashion, there's craziness, there's drama, there's, you know, staying up all night and getting all these amazing things done. And I think without like, you know, to Kirsten's note, without even really thinking about it, 
you become like this sisterly um, kind of family that you just connect, you know, you know, you can operate well together. And yeah, I think without really realizing it, you know, after years since then, we kept kind of coming back to each other, whether that was on purpose or accidental, accidentally, it was just kind of like the universe was drawing us together. So that was something really cool and unexpected. Yeah. I also think like to that, to that note, it was one of those things where if one of us was feeling a certain way, the other one could kind of sense it and help charge the other one up. And that can almost lead, segue into like, the differences conversation, which it's almost really even hard to pinpoint what they are because we are so close and spend so much time together personally and professionally. But I, I don't know. I mean, I think as people, I, what, I, what would you say our differences are? I mean, it's like- I didn't even touch on the differences. I was just like, this is how we met. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I think what, where I, why I jumped the differences is because I think that what, how we're different really makes Dearest the way it is. If we were both the same, it'd be boring. And- we wouldn't have as much fun and we wouldn't have as good of ideas. And we just, we both think of things in a way where it's kind of the same, but it's also one's coming from Mars and the other one's coming from Pluto. It's, it's, we can be in the same conversation, same meeting, same conversation, same anything, walk out, talk about it for five minutes. I'm like, whoa, that's what you got. I got totally, something totally different. And I think that there are tangible differences, but there's also in, unexplainable differences that, I don't really know if it would be helpful to figure out why. It's just helpful. It's just like good for us to talk through things and and figure out and, and also respect each other's opinions. Like not, it's not no, you're wrong. It's wow, that's really, really an interesting take. I didn't think about it like that at all. How can we merge these takeaways to become the next step in this process? Definitely. I think also in terms of the differences. It is something where not only do we come from different angles, but we actually are passionate about very specific things within design that we realize like after two years, we can really hone in on whether it's like more of the photo shoot content creation or like design direction or overarching creative brand. Um, I think there's there's so many different elements that we both bring to the table. And I think in the beginning, we didn't think anything was different. Well, we're both designers. I don't know. We like fashion and beauty and we want to do good for the world, but there's so much more to learn. I think that's something that's been really cool for us that we start to realize there is diff- there are differences personally and professionally, but it's also really complementary. And if those things were the same, we wouldn't be good partners. So I think there's there's something there that we are starting to realize, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's more about celebrating them as opposed to pretending they're not there and trying to make everything, I don't know, the same. Right. I think if you're doing everything the same, then you're going to be bored. And as you can hear on the podcast, they're able to go back and forth and talk about the same topic. So they're obviously in sync, you know, to think about ideas similarly. And I wanted to ask when you were saying that you both can come out of a meeting and think about different things. Is one of you more analytical? One of you more visual? Do we notice what we come out with? I think that it depends on the meeting, client, potential opportunity, what have you. I think that if innately one of us will have more interest because we probably can't have an equal interest in, in something specific that, you know, that's measurable. But I think that the one that's more interested definitely thinks about things in a more conceptual, forward thinking, how can we build this? Did you hear what they said about this color? Oh my gosh, I have all these ideas. And the one that's maybe not as, not, 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 not as interested in a bad way, but maybe just less dazzled by it in that current moment is more analytical and more strategic. And it's, wow, yeah, we we, we did vibe well with them and the the product's really cool, but um, here's X, Y, and Z of why, of things we should talk about or let's let's note this, let's not jump the gun and go 10 steps ahead and get super excited about something that we haven't even, you know, really started laying down the, the groundwork or framework or what have you. And I think that that's how we also keep each other in check sometimes because, you know, your head can get in the clouds if you're just so enamored by something, but, you know, you need to be grounded <laughs> at times. But I think in general, I think we kind of go back and forth in terms of sharing that mindset. Yeah, I think that's really do you, good. good. Do you breakdown, agree or disagree? <laughs> no, I feel like that is, that is, I never thought of it that way, but in the sense that the, the person that is more 
wowed by a brand or have seen that in a portfolio or the potential idea of a collaboration or an event or something cool is the person who is who fixates on something in particular. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, 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 we don't care about any of that. Just think about this thing. This is so cool. You know, and then the other person says, well, you know, the budget is one dollar. So budget let's think about matter. it. Timeline doesn't um, matter. Yeah. Nothing matters. <laughs> so I think it is. It's like we we have this balance of our gut reactions to things, not only on the interest level, but also on the level of if one of us has an like an inkling of negative gut reaction, we just we nix it all immediately because we've been down that road and it's never what we want to be a part of. So it's like if there is a, you know, first reaction to a client, the way they work, the way they communicate, if they cut you off in the meetings, that's something where we say, yeah, maybe that's better for someone else. If it's something where, you know, we see a lot of potential and growth, we can collaborate and learn from each other, the client and the the agency and be an extension of their team. And it might not be the perfect version of what we want, but we see a lot of potential. You know, I think that's something we're super open to, but we also are fortunate enough to be at the point where we can be a little pickier and say, we don't need every single pitch, you know, that comes our way. We don't need to take every client on that comes our way. Um, and it ebbs and flows as a small business. It's, it's tricky at times, but we also don't want to, you know, we try not to get to the point where we're desperate to take on something that we don't want, or we don't feel like is in line with the dearest vision. So, yeah. And I think that, you have to learn to say no. And saying no can be for many, many reasons. I mean, the majority of people that we potentially work with and get the pleasure of meeting are lovely. And it's it's more about the challenge, the fun challenge, like the open-mindedness of said potential client to be able to like, let's work on this together. We obviously, if this, if we could take it and run with it, it's not going to at all what it's going to look like at the end. Like that's just the way it is. But if there's a potential project where it's, you know, people are very set in their ways or it's very specific in a certain way, that may not be right for Dearest. And that's okay. And it's okay to have a loose framework of the types of projects that we take on because we're not going to grow and continue to grow if we're working on projects that we're just not passionate about. It also does a disservice to the people we're working with. I think it is a good analogy of, you know, whoever gets stoked on a project a little bit more kind of seems more like the lead creative conceptually a little mm-hmm. bit because you you, you mm-hmm. kind of automatically get it. It's kind of, right? it's a really good point, actually. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> and I think that's really interesting. And I think, you know, that it's a good way to work because sometimes then you're like, okay, you figure it, you have that, you, you, it automatically makes sense in your brain, but you need somebody else to check you and mm-hmm. to be like, does this work? Are you sure? Right. And I do like the fact that you're like, if there is a negative, you know, connotation into something, Rather than trying to work around it, just kill it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Nip it in the bud early because mm-hmm. it will come to bite you in the ass later on. Always. Every time. <laughs> Always. You know? um, but that's, that's a really interesting way to work. And what's one project that you're really proud of? Well, there's one that we really want to say. Uh, so we had the opportunity of working with the Girl Scouts of America. We were tasked with rebranding their lifetime membership program which I'm getting a little like misty even thinking, talking about because we were at such a, I don't know, we were so young and we still are, but we were at such an interesting point in our business. And we had this wonderful, not even just a household name, you know, wide, widely known organization, but one that we, you know, both were part of and part of our lives growing up and just really, truly believed in take a chance on, on us for us. You know, they saw our work, they loved it. They loved our aesthetic. They, they were, they were pushing for us. And we, we really had a like pinch me moment because it was a turning point for us. And looking back on working on that, we worked, we collaborated with some incredible people and it was definitely a journey in terms of, I think it kind of transformed the way that we, that we worked after that. I mean, we, we learned a lot. It was our first full rebrand and it it was tough, but it was incredible. And I, I am just so, so proud of what we created and to be just, you know, have the opportunity to work with such an incredible organization. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's something, you know, we, again, back to kind of our roots, we both were Girl Scouts. We both, um, you know, knew all about the organization, our whole families, all the women in our, you know, 
world, even though they weren't maybe working women or maybe they didn't get their masters or maybe they weren't anything but a housewife to themselves. They were all Girl Scouts. And I think that's something of like female empowerment that yes, although overdone in this day and age and the con, you know, the, the topic and the concept is of feminism is sometimes muted. I think for us, that was a moment that, yeah, we felt really connected to something that we not only worked on something that we were so excited about, but every woman in our, in our family was like, Oh, this is huge girl scouts, you know? And it's like, regardless of time and, and politics and everything that goes along with, with all of that, I think girl scouts is something that has kind of been this historical and also, um, you know, large moment for women. So being able to rebrand this, this lifetime membership program was so exciting because not only could we put our spin on it and make it young and fun and exciting, we also had this, this thread of heritage and this nod to the history. So being able to, you know, interview my aunt who um, was on the board of directors at one point and speak to Girl Scouts throughout the, the organization and meet all these wonderful women who were from marketing and copywriting and design and, and all these different angles, we were able to really pull something together that everyone was excited about. Um, and, you know, did we nail it on round one? No, not <laughs> at all. They were, you know, they were like, this is not what we we're thinking. So it's, huh? it's not like, you know, just because we were two women, they were excited about everything. We had to work, you know, work our asses off. And I think it was something that just, yeah, to Kirsten's point, made us really think about our process. What does our deck look like? How many this pages? Means, like, this means something. Yeah. Like how many pages is it and why? And why, you know, is it, is it explaining something? Is there a visual strategy? Uh, we aren't strategists ourselves, but we have to have the thought behind every decision. Um, why is this, you know, letter angled to this way? And why did we choose this shade of mustard yellow? And all of these things that I think have built the way that we think about every new project and brand. And we're so grateful to them for that and for giving us a chance. I'm also not sure if we're ever going to get the opportunity to where the we're in the brief, it includes, you know, the demographic being, you know, all genders ranging from ages 16 to 95. <laughs> like literally, I mean, I may be a few years off on the 16. Male but, or female. Yeah. And we're like, is there a typo? I was like, mm -mm, nope, lifetime membership has to appeal to everyone. And we're like, wow, wow, okay, this is guns a blazing. We gotta, mm -hmm. we gotta lock this down. And I think that that was also, to my point earlier, I have a fun challenge. I mean, it was scary. It was really scary. It's wow, they have a, they they trust us. We gotta, we gotta pull us off. Mm -hmm. But it also just like that's one of the times I felt most creative and where we were like excited. We're like, oh, it's getting dark in this weird office within the windows. Let's go to one of our houses. And we'd work until 2 a.m. And we can't like just sitting like excited to not sleep because we had so many ideas. And I just welcome more projects like that because they just make you so excited. And I think it was just, yeah, I have nothing but fun, fun, positive things to say about it. I think it transformed us as people and dearest. I think I can definitely tell just based on the conversation. Is this the moment that family understood what you did? I think so. I yeah. think for sure. Yeah, I think it was one of those moments where, you know, when you're a kid from a small Catholic's private school where there's no art or music program, um, you don't really know what art is or why you like to draw or if you even like you're not really good at drawing, but you kind of just you like pictures and you're just you don't even know. <laughs> um, so I think for me, knowing that they understood, wow, okay, Girl Scouts thinks you're good enough. You must be actually doing something, you know? And so that was, that was pretty cool for, for both of us. I think having coming from a family of lots of sisters and a really close mom, and it's just like all these ladies coming together. They know what Girl Scouts is. They know what it stands for. It's really universal. Um, beyond the cookie sales, you know, it's, it's women getting together and camping and doing activities. So I think that was, that was pretty awesome for us to, realize that maybe what we were doing wasn't failing to other people. Although it doesn't quite matter, you know, it does. No, that's awesome. As we start getting to like the end of the, our beautiful conversation, um, I want to start asking some of my final questions. And I really want to um, dig deep for upcoming designers, emerging creatives, and students that I have who want to figure out how to navigate this crazy world that we live in. But I want to know, what advice would you give a younger self 
entering the creative industry and or starting their own business? It's a thinker. I think um, a friend of ours once told us that uh, the you know it's never the perfect time to do something and something we've kept as sticky notes in our desks and always try to refer back to whether it's you know take that trip to Thailand or um, adopt cats or start a business or get married or you know anything I think there's something with society and the way that we're we're brought up that there's really specific signs that you must get to do a certain chapter of your life. And I think it's really important to throw those away out of your head and know that no time is perfect ever. It's never going to seem like the right right moment. It's never going to be the most financially stable time. It's it's never going to be served to you on the silver platter of, you know, now it's time to start your own business. Now it's time to get that dream job. But I guess my hybrid answer is you just have to do it and you just have to go for it. And on the flip side of doing that and being scared to death, I think it's been really cool to reflect on the fact that it wouldn't be here unless we did that and really think about that on like a larger level that our lives would be completely different if we didn't take that risk and we would be different people. And I think it's just so important to go for it because no one's going to do it for you. And whether that's start your own restaurant or design your own, you know, anything studio, I think it's just, it's not going to be, no one's going to show you what to do and your professors and your family and your friends, they're going to give you all the knowledge they can, but no one can do it for you. So I think that's, that was my biggest like learning of, you know, 10 years out of college, you aren't going to know, you're not going to get this sign from the heavens. It's just, you just got to do it. That's a really good one. And I feel like mine kind of not negates it, but my oh. the thing with no, no, not Yikes. at all. It's just like a multifaceted human uh, arts together. Mine, I think, but I would tell my younger, younger version of Kirsten, whether she's starting a business or a job, I think it would be to not worry so much about what other people are going to think, whether it's of your design, of you of you as a person, of your clothes, like all these things. Like I think that my career kind of jumped off at Vogue, which is, you know, is an intense place. It was also a dream job, but also like it, whole, whole different worlds, whole a whole different world than what I was than what I was raised in and what, what I was exposed to, and I think that as individuals, you know, we're insecure, and I think it's it you can't tell people not to be insecure, but I think that it's important to remember that everyone is, and no one really knows exactly one hundred percent what they're doing. So just be open to asking questions and asking for help if. Don't be ashamed to show someone you've designed someone 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 something you've designed because you're afraid they're not going to like it. Try to reframe your mindset to show them and get their thoughts to help get a different perspective or to help you grow. Like don't be afraid of criticism. Don't be afraid of all of these things that are you know allegedly deemed negative, but they're actually positive because when you embrace this, those scary things is the only you know that's when you're really going to grow and get closer to the person that you know you're meant to be. Love those answers. So now the creative industry is probably very different than when you first came into it. If you were graduating now, would you approach getting to the industry the same way you did then? Honestly, it would be about the same for me. Uh, This is Corey speaking. I feel like luckily, so Facebook started the year I started college, which is kind of wild. You had to have a .edu to be able to have a Facebook so I got my Penn State email and I got a Facebook and I started connecting with all the, you know, everyone I could. And when I had my internship at Spin Magazine, the summer of my junior year, I connected with everyone that I could. Um, and what's funny is I was actually running a an errand for 
the fashion department had spin, which was not my world, but they needed an intern to go run an errand. So, you know, there I was in Soho with a giant bag of heavy, you know, high fashion clothing. And I drag it up this building. I'm stuck in an elevator and you need a key to enter each uh, floor. So little did I know that people owned full floors, um, but we got to a floor in this building and, you know, I'm next to this woman. So I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm an intern. I'm like basically in tears. I'm late for this photo shoot and I'm supposed to bring these clothes. I can't get to the floor. You need a special key. Of course, you know, she, she owned a floor, so she had the magic key. And so she let me onto the floor and, I said, you know, so gracious because I didn't know how I was going to complete this intern task. It was one of my first days. And um, she ended up being a uh, lead marketing director at L'Oreal. So I I think we might have just connected immediately. Like I think I might have said, oh, I'm a graphic designer and I love fashion and beauty and I'm at Spin. And she said, well, you know, find me on Facebook. I'm, you know, Tamara Sanford and I would love to just connect. So within that 30 second uh, elevator conversation, I she got me to the place I needed to go. We were Facebook friends, started messaging a little bit. And that was my first job out of school. I was a, a creative designer for like assistant packaging at L'Oreal through Tamara. So again, just like networking with everyone you can and just being nice and being open, especially in the New York world where not everyone, you know, greets you good morning. I think just being that kind of shining light of positivity can be really helpful. So um, I'm forgetting what the original question was, but that's how I, oh, that's how I originally uh, got my first job. So four days after graduation, I started at L'Oreal and I think today it would be the same thing and just connect and reach out. You know, I don't think it needs to be a cover letter with a special resume anymore printed on cardstock and have a shimmery backing. I think it needs to be uh, an Instagram DM and it needs to be a, uh, you know, connecting with people, talking to them, showing that you're interested and whether that means, you know, emailing them or hitting them up for coffee and getting, showing them your work. I think it's, um, might be in the design world, maybe a little bit more casual these days, but you also want to be that professional person. You want to show up, you want to, you know, print out your work if you can and, you know, be the person that stands out. But I think it would be pretty similar. Just don't be afraid and reach out, be honest and be nice. Yeah. I mean, I think that mine pro- would probably be similar as well. I did not have, I, I don't really know, I have very few design friends outside of Corey, um, a lot of talk for friends, uh, but I'm kind of the solo outside of a very few. So when I came here, I was just kind of trying to, you know, figure it out. And I would probably do a little less trolling than I did. Um, I had actually emailed Corey because I found her name in the uh, masthead and then Googled her name and then found her email address through Facebook and then emailed her. She never responded until, yeah, until she wrote back to me from the (laughs) Craigslist ad. And I'm like, yo, you're in my Gmail address book, but you never responded. And I did The truth comes out. Yeah, the truth comes out. We actually found Uh the email forever ago. It's ridiculous. But um, Thank you, Gmail, for holding that. We should really print that out and frame it. desperate. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I feel like it's one of those things where a lot of the people that I met in the industry and jobs and... primarily, you know, freelance opportunities I got were were just reaching out to people, maybe not people that I had known, but people that I, you know, admire their work or was interested in the role or something. And I can't really speak to how it would be now with all of the outlets, of the digital outlets, um, which I think can be rather exhausting, although a beautiful tool. I think that the, as long as, you know, the mindset is the same, it's just like be eager, be respectful, but also show how much you want it and how hard you're going to work. And I think that that's really what it's about. So, yes. <laughs> so as people who own their own place and obviously hire freelancers or interns, right? What are you noticing um, are the biggest weaknesses or strengths of some of the, you know, designers coming out of schools today? Um, I think it's tough. It's so funny. I think it's a... Uh, generational thing where I feel old now, but everyone's always like, well, this generation did things differently. But 
I think that that is true and it's not true. I think that strengths, I would say that a lot of the younger emerging designers definitely have, I feel like maybe a little bit more freedom or openness to have their own personal aesthetic earlier on, as opposed to a skill refinement, which I respect the hell out of, obviously want both, but I think it's really interesting to see a lot of these young designers and artists that, you know, show your portfolio and it's like, look at all these amazing school projects I did and I did this branding project, but I also do all of this stuff and this is like what my vibe is. And it's like, great, like you can do both. That's awesome. But I also like to see that and I don't really feel like that was as encouraged when I was that age. That's my experience. But, and also the confidence to be able to talk about their work and process and weaknesses. Um, I don't really know the proper terms. I, th I think reliability, reliability maybe. And also this isn't everyone. I, I think it's just maybe not as much as a whole <laughs> of a innate driver desire to just like be there and just be supportive and just be like, I don't care what time we have to leave. That notion across a few things is just like, you know, just really be de dedicated, I think. I think the dedication, we haven't seen as much as we I would have hoped. But maybe when I, you know, was interning at my first job, they were saying the same thing. So who knows? I don't know. I guess it it dials down to just yeah, how you're raised. It, everyone had a different idea of what a job is and what work is. So I think there's – it's something we're just learning. But um, I think for us, the – idea of having, you know, being able to execute is wonderful. Being a great designer is, you know, of course, that's what you need to have under your belt skill set wise. But I think we see less thinkers mm -hmm. and conceptual people than we realized, you know, talking to young people, talking to um, interns or at portfolio reviews or designers or anyone who hits us up on Instagram wants to come by the studio and bring, bring a, you know, a something by, a leaf behind, things like that. I think for us, it's more often a good designer that designed from a design brief than someone who thought of a concept that they were able to bring to life. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was interesting to me because I think specifically the way that I was taught about design was figure out Photoshop in your own time. This is how you should think about it which at that point I wondered, well, I need to learn Photoshop. Who's going to teach me that? You know, so I'm going to be doing that in my own time. And I didn't like it, but in hindsight, I feel like it really taught me a lot on, about how to think of something holistically and from A to Z as opposed to like just design this poster and be done. So I think encouraging students to think on their own and young creatives to not be afraid to have an opinion um, another thing that one of our bosses at Vogue, shout out Alexandra Macon, um, who taught us that, you know, never send an email without your opinion. So never just send something to a client or a boss saying attached, here it is. Say here attached A, B, and C, B is the strongest because of this. And I think this is the one we should choose. So having that like oomph and that excitement and that passion about what you send through, I think I didn't really realize at first. I didn't know I was allowed to have an opinion. So that was something that was really a cool turning point in my career as a young designer that she said, your work's great. You're doing a good job, but have an opinion. Don't just send stuff off and be done with it. It's not a checklist. Um, so that's something that we always kind of hold true to ourselves too. Yeah, character. Mm -hmm. No, those are great. Those are great pieces of advice, right? Um, I think we, we, as an educator, I always try to figure out how students can can better explain what they do, right? Yeah, the idea sure. that, that you know, most of the time you're not going to be in front of a person who's going to be reviewing your work. So the work, one, has to speak for itself, but you also have to set it up, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't set up the work, how is anybody going to understand where you're coming from? Exactly. And they understand how to tell that story, how to, how to frame it, how to do that. And then, of course, when you are there in front of that person, just don't read the story that's already on the website because right. it's already there. Then I don't need you to be in front of me having a beautiful conversation. I want you to give now this project life because yeah. you have the opportunity to now give it the life it deserves, right? So I think one of these things is always trying to make sure that they understand where their power lies 
and how they're able to control the conversation and, and, and do a lot of the things that you suggested. I think that's um, beautiful. I'm just don't want to interrupt you, but I really think that, that that's something that I just think is really incredible to infuse early mm-hmm. because I think that when you're teaching those type those types of ideas, it really not one is practical and sets you up for the real world, but two just helps designers of all kinds like just really empower themselves and realize that they're more than just designers. Like you're the you're the brain behind what you what you put out and they're equally as important. It's exactly. not just what you present and what's due and what is, you know, expected. It's really the whole the whole thing. So I think that that's not as that's just not as celebrated as much as it should be or encouraged. And I, just, I love that. No, I agree. Thank you. And yeah. also, I think it's you know that the process is part of the beauty mm-hmm. too. So it's not only this beautiful, amazing final product, but it's how did you get there? What, what did your you know scrappy sketches look like? And what, how, you know what did you what did you think of before you polished it up and rendered it on a you know a, a mock up? And it went, before it was a billboard, you know, in the the middle of um, town square. Like what 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 it was the idea and how did you get there? And I think the thinking is something that again, isn't as encouraged. And it's like, that is huge for us. That's, that excites us oh, yeah. more than the perfect final products, but the process. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, that's literally why I have this conversation, right? Because I want to dig behind the stuff that you do, the idea that you have a chance to interview your aunt for a project that you love. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, wow, that's how personal a project can get if you want to bring it there, right? Just because you do this for a national brand doesn't mean you can't bring it to another level that allows you to shine through because it actually makes it work even better. And I think that's what students don't understand sometimes. They think it has to look a certain way. Um, we live in a world where everything is, is, is shiny and new and, and, and polished, right? Instagram has, has done that to us, unfortunately. Um, but it also allows us to just DM people really quickly and be like, I love your work. Can I talk to you? And they're like, yeah, sure. And you're like, what? That's it? Um, where before you had to find somebody and dig through Craigslist and find an email that Corey would never <laughs> respond to, right? So, Old school. <laughs> you know, but it, you know, it's so much easier, right? But then to have that confidence to do all these things. Um, I think those, those pieces of advice and, and a lot of the stuff that we've been saying through this conversation are um, really ring true for a lot of students today, but also just the way creatives need to start thinking. Um, and so as we now are, are at the end of our conversation, which has been really, really fun and really interesting to be interviewing two different people and, and, and hearing people go back and forth. And I think it's really nice to have, have that vibe. Um, what is the future for Dearest Creative? I think it's just continuing to grow. I mean, I think it's, it's hard to put it into, into words of like actual things that we foresee, but I think it's really just measuring that in growth and how we view ourselves, how we view projects, what we learn, what we take away from every single minute of every single hour, every, every single day. Um, and just, I, I, again, I feel like it's more of a, of a mindset of like a place that I want to be as, and where I want the business to be if it had emotions, which I think it does. <laughs> Did you just steal Corey's answer? Just took the answer right out of my mouth. So of there it is. Snatched uh, it. No, I mean, I think, I think for us, you know, my kind of type A mindset is very, what's the plan? What are we doing? What, what does this mean? What's the next year? But what Dearest has taught me among many things is that the openness is part of the, the beauty and that there might not be a perfect plan and that's okay. So I think it's just evolving it and growing as we as we grow personally, um, as the team evolves, as it grows, as it shrinks, as it travels, as it, you know, works remotely or works in our studio. I think it's something that it's an extension of our lifestyle and something that um, I don't know is is it's why we made it. It's something that's going to just change and and kind of uh, expand and and that's okay. Yeah. Awesome. I really appreciate the time. I think um, meeting with two people and, and having this perspective of of seeing how creatives can come from, you know, larger companies and start to realize that there's deeper meanings for themselves and have the ability to take a leap and trust in yourself, but believe you're doing it for the right reasons, I think is something to be said. But I really appreciate the time that we had. And I know that you wanted to like 
study the questions and everything and nothing <laughs> that I had on here was on that. And I want this to be more natural. And I know that sometimes it, it, it stumps people and I'm not here to, to, <laughs> to try to stump you on an answer, but I want it to be more natural. So I want to thank you for your time. And if people want to know more about Dearest Creative or Corey or Kirsten individually, how can they find out about you? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the most direct thing is to check out our Instagram, uh, Dearest Creative. Feel free to you know, reach out or shoot us a message. Uh, obviously, our site is linked from there as well. And uh, again, yeah, I mean, thank you for having us. This has been really fun getting out of our comfort zone and also just talking about what we do is, is pretty awesome. So we appreciate the opportunity and uh, we're excited to see who's featured next. Yeah, um, so you can find us. And I'm really happy that you didn't ask us a lot of questions from the, from the sheet that I studied briefly because I actually <laughs> um, was honestly nervous and feel like the questions were really thought-provoking and, and just wonderful. It was a great conversation and so honored to be here. Thank yeah. you. Well, thanks. This, this is your office, so I'm here. I'm honored <laughs> to be in your office. <laughs> well, you're welcome. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you once again, Corey and, and Kirsten, and I really appreciate it. Um, this has been Works in Process. Yay! <laughs> and we're done. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. I hope you learned a lot about a technique or a process that can apply to your own creative work. If you want a list to the links of the work, tools, or people mentioned during the interview, visit the podcast website at wip.show. Also, if you haven't done so, please subscribe to my Works and Process podcast on any podcast platform. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or any other place you get your podcast. And you can find behind-the-scenes pics on our Instagram channel, by following us at works underscore in process. Thanks again. And until next time, follow your gut and trust in the process. Mm-hmm.